millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you buy the Sega Genesis that comes with Sonic 1, you'll get Sonic 2 absolutely free. Sonic 2 handles stubborn stains, embarrassing bald spots, no problem. It even slices and dices, makes thousands of julienne fries. But wait, you can play it too. This free Sonic 2 is a $54.99 value. You get two Sonics for the price of one. Sonic 2 fits easily into any tackle box. Made from a space-age polymer plastic for years of family fun. And pets love it too. Buy the Sega Genesis that comes with Sonic 1 and get Sonic 2 free. Act now. Wiener Dog Sweater sold separately. Welcome to Neon, the podcast that takes pop culture and reveals the real history behind it. You've been here for three and a half hours. How many different ways do you want me to tell the same story? Notice anything unusual about Santa Carla yet? No, it's a pretty good place. I'm impressed. How many questions does it usually take to spot? As your leader, I encourage you from time to time, but always in a respectful manner. To question my logic. Now to run a computer check on this tape and the professor. Dodge this. The tracks go off in this direction. This time round, we're looking at Endgame and Contagion. One of the single biggest grossing movies in all of movie history and a Steven Soderbergh flop that starred lots of people and was all about the spread of a virus. So what's that got to do with Endgame? And obviously, what do both of them have to do with history? All of this will be revealed in a few short moments. If I have to explain Avengers Endgame to you, then congratulations, you're one of four people out there that haven't seen it. It grossed close to $3 billion worldwide, finally knocking Avatar off the top spot for biggest grossing movie not adjusted for inflation. That's a whole other story. And what I found fascinating about Endgame was how this huge monster movie, after the truly titanic Infinity Wars, was so quiet for so long. Indeed, in the first hour or so of the movie, once it settles down, once you get almost the the fake entrance where they kill Thanos, uh, by the way, there will be spoilers galore uh, for uh, Endgame, and I'll be giving one spoiler for Contagion, uh, more on that in a little bit. The point is, after Thanos is killed, it's then a very quiet movie 
for some time. Indeed, it fades to black and says five years later. And what you then get is um, an awful lot of, uh, of poignant melancholy, of mourning, of the loss of people. Now, when it first came out and we had a bit of a backlog on Neons, I wanted to do one on Endgame and I wanted to compare it to, of all things, The Black Death. Now, the reason why this episode of Neon's popping out now is because we're all largely locked at home, COVID-19. And that has something to do with Endgame, sort of the Black Death, and of course we then come to Contagion, which is a, shall we say, a much more realistic depiction of the spread of a virus in the modern world. So Contagion, as I said, uh, uh, 2011 movie uh, directed by the uh, amazing uh, director Steven Soderbergh, uh, and it has an amazing cast as well. Little fun fact here, what does uh, Avengers Endgame have to do with Contagion? They have a character in common, or an actress in common. Gwyneth Paltrow is in both. Uh, And uh, yeah, that's just a bit of a quirk, but it also, it's got Matt Damon, it's got Kate Winslet, it's just, it's got a great, you'll just keep seeing famous faces popping up in it. And I actually saw it, not when it came out in the cinema, as I said, although it's got a big name director, lots of big name stars, I think it was mismarketed and it is a good film it's just right now when you're locked at home uh, worried about COVID-19 and you have very good reasons to worry about it uh, then yeah you probably don't want to see a movie about a mass pandemic but it does show you uh, basically take for example the character uh, that Kate Winslet plays she works for CDC we all know what CDC is today but that was not really a, a common phrase uh, that most people knew about now full disclosure I've been interested in virology uh, since my university days um, at university when I say black death you'll say oh that's the bubonic plague but actually That's always been assumed by historians. And then a biologist got in and went, hang on, this doesn't follow the trends of bubonic plague. I think it's something else. And then that led to a huge sort of like debate. It's almost like the historians didn't want somebody coming in and telling them that they're wrong. You know, who are you, new boy? And the biologist is going, well, surely we need to use science to do this. Now, it turned out that the biology was wrong. The samples were inaccurate basically and the best guess to the black death is indeed still bubonic plague but for a time it made me realize that there are or for example there are four different levels of pathogens that's viruses that can basically kill you something on level one is something very very mild like the common cold and then at level four is something where there is no known cure and is incredibly uh, contagious and uh, highly lethal which would be something like ebola which again i'll be coming back to a little bit later on so yeah i've been aware of cdc for a while there's a uh, there's a, a a book um uh, a non-fiction book called Hot Zone, which talks about how uh, there was basically a, a, an error, mistakes were made, and very nearly um, some of these very lethal viruses were unleashed on the world, um, but it didn't happen, fortunately. So, pooling all these things together, I think Endgame, surprisingly, 
you know, in a complete blindside, a sucker punch to us all. We just expected more of Infinity Wars. And if you remember how that film ended, it was just explosion on top of action set piece, on top of fight. It was everything that cinema could deliver. And make no mistake about it, at the end of Endgame, you get another truly titanic battle. I, I don't think it's perfect, but anyway. But for a long time, you get to see society adjusting to mass losses. And this is where I want to sort of pause and say there's been an awful lot of bad comparisons going on between what's happening in the world in 2020 and what's happened in the world in the past. So I want to sort of put these things into context. Am I a virologist? No. Am I a biochemist? No. But I have a friend who's got a, uh, a PhD in biochemistry and specialised in coronaviruses. And I've been talking to him. And also, I've been sort of cracking out the, the, the books. I've been talking to some people on a, a different podcast, a business podcast, and sort of stunned them with the differences between now and things in the past. So I want to briefly mention, because it's been in the news quite a lot, Spanish flu. People have been saying, oh, that happened in 1920. Look what's happening in 2020. No. No, I will not accept that. So COVID-19... And for the record, coronavirus is the type of virus. It's a bit like saying, well, there's a lion and then there is the feline family. OK, not all felines are lions. All right. And that's the same thing here. Coronaviruses actually describes the shape. They look like the a corona, a crown. So they kind of, they tend to be relatively circular with little sort of strands coming off the edges of them. They, they kind of look like, um, you know, a, a circle with wiggles coming out of them. Um, and that tells you something about how they can be transmitted. Um, so they are likely to be respiratory. Um, so, for example, flu, which you all have heard of, influenza is also a coronavirus. Um, to give you a, an example, Ebola, the other famous really deadly bad one, is a phylovirus. It looks like string, basically, and that means it's very different. And Ebola, thank goodness, uh, can only be transmitted through fluids, bodily fluids, um, and therefore it's much harder to catch, but is much more lethal. Um, so to give you an idea, it seems the best guesses around the world, it is hard because not everybody's been tested. So um, it, it you know could be a bit above or below this, but it seems around about three to three and a half percent likelihood of your death if you can contract COVID-19. Now, it gets... Tricky, because if you have underlying health issues, like you are severely asthmatic or you're on immune suppressants, you know, you just had a, a bypass, a transplant of some description, or you're over 70 or over 80, then all those things can greatly increase um, and you can greatly decrease it just by being 20 and healthy. But that does not mean that you can't die from it. You still could. It's just highly unlikely. So my point there is, on average, it's got a a death rate of about 3%, 3, 3.5%. Ebola, without any medical attention, has a death rate of 90, 90%. In other words, you catch it, you, you die. And you'll get so sick so quickly, it's really hard to get med medical help to you in time. So you can see instantly, those are very different illnesses. And I, I want to be clear on this, if you like, COVID-19 is that perfect storm of type of virus. Weirdly, the one that you could best relate it to is HIV. 
in the sense that you can look, you, you can remain healthy enough for long enough to start spreading it to other people. Again, going back to Ebola, it hits you so hard, so quickly, within days, you are bedridden with a, a fever that could kill you, racked with incredible um, incredible uh, pains, uh, muscular pains, and you start hemorrhaging through every orifice and some that you don't know about. Uh, and it's just horrible, awful, terrible, disgusting stuff. But because it hits you so hard and kills you so quickly, it's actually quite hard to spread. Whereas you could be walking down the supermarket showing basically no ill symptoms, spreading COVID-19. This is why social distancing is so important. But it's getting a bit lonely out there. It's getting a bit surreal out there. And that, I think, is what Endgame shows really well. The fact that people are just sitting around. It's like, what do I do now? Society now is adapting and had to adapt in Endgame too. Going to Contagion, you're actually seeing the spread of the disease. And this is where I'm going to spoil a little bit of it. Uh, Kate Winslet's character, who is in CDC, she's a, a, a virus expert. I do not understand why she's going from area to area in this uh, in this movie with zero protection. She knows that this is, uh, obviously, in all Hollywood movies, all diseases are far more lethal than COVID-19. Uh, I heard one person describe that what we're going through now is a really bad Hollywood movie because it's just not lethal enough. The, the symptoms aren't sort of like disgusting enough for it to actually ever be made into a movie. And now that we've seen what social distancing and isolation and quarantine really is like, suddenly it makes these other things look perhaps a tad hysterical. Or, and and the, indeed, the movie of COVID-19, which might come out in 10 years' time, will seem to largely involve people sitting there doing TikTok videos whilst watching Netflix in the background. Um, now, I want to go back to... Spanish flu, because people have been talking about this. Oh, 1920, 2020 coincidence. Yeah, yeah, it is a coincidence. For starters, Spanish flu started in 1918. Uh, so, no, not the same year. It basically ended in 2020. And I hate to break it to you, COVID-19 is going to be with us until 2021. Indeed, a lot of um, virologists and biologists say that what will happen is it will become yet another of these flu strains we have to be worried about come winter time it's just the problem is right now we got no way to mitigate it we're way off sort of like uh, any form of mitigation or indeed yeah, actual uh, antidote to it that's the problem with any new illness that spreads quickly anyway so i want to tell you the story of spanish flu so you would guess from that that it comes from spain but no that's a quirk it started in America, and it was a form of influenza, flu, hence Spanish flu. Uh, they got that, the flu bit right. And flu generally attacks the very young and very old. This is why it's important you should get your flu jabs every year. It's not just to protect uh, you, but it's also to stop you spreading it to perhaps your grandparents, people who are less resistant to uh, illnesses, uh, like flu, for example. But the weird thing, and... Uh, scientists aren't still aren't quite sure why this particular strain of flu did the opposite it attacked healthy young men and women in fact the older you were the less likely you were to get spanish flu and the weird thing is of course we're in world war one during 1918 and what happened was it started in america 
Of course, it's spreading through lots of uh, the young population. And who's going from America to Europe? Lots of young men in the U.S. Army. And completely unbeknownst to them, there they were spreading. And of course, they had mustering points, you know, in you know central Chicago and New York and wherever, you know, you're talking about these major uh, mustering points and uh, places where they're going to be literally rubbing shoulders with thousands of other people. Some going to be joining them on their journey across the Atlantic. Others are just going to be going back to the local restaurant. And it just spread like wildfire. Of course, once these men got into Europe, it spread, you know, there they are in Paris getting onto the trains, you know going to depots, things like that. And again, it just spread along all the networks, be they maritime, be they uh, land-based, it just spread everywhere. So what's this got to do with Spain, I hear you ask? Well, the irony is that pretty much all countries played down how lethal it was. They didn't want to tell everybody how many people were dying because they didn't want to cause a panic, except Spain. Spain was honest about how many people were dying. So it looked like at the time that Spain was the worst hit country and therefore surely that's where it came from. And this was genuinely a pandemic. Pandemic is when it is spreading across national boundaries without any kind of mitigation. So it was spreading in America, spreading in France, spreading and ironically Germany because they were in essence isolated from the Allies because of this thing called a war and lots of trenches. Germany didn't get it till after the end of of World War I. But it, I mean, it went as far as China. Um, you know, it did genuinely go around the world. And here's the point. Between 10 and 15 million people died in World War One. Round about 60, 65 million people died in World War Two. So if we add up the worst case scenario of both World War One and World War Two, we're talking about a total mortality rate of these two horrific wars of 80 million people. Spanish flu in two years killed between 80 and 100 million people. And the, obviously the sheer tragedy of this is it was killing people faster than World War One, which was just coming to an end. I mean, we still had things like the Russian Civil War. Uh, we had the sort of like Russian-Polish War. There were just there were lots. Of, there, there was uh, Turkey's War of Independence against Greece, uh, sort of like uh, fighting against uh, Greeks and Turks as the Ottoman Empire collapsed. There was fighting all over the world, plus this absolutely lethal virus ripping through things. It's a terrible, horrible story. My first historical novel is called Silent Crossroads, and it's a story about a British soldier who starts off in the trenches of World War I, basically gets captured by the Germans, falls in love with a German woman, which is why he spends the interwar years in, World, uh, in Germany, and then in World War II, he has to pick a side. If that sounds interesting, it is kind of like about moral choices, uh, then please do check it out. It's self-published. It's available on Amazon. But in it, I had a number of people say, why did you just kill off a bunch of people from uh, with uh, from influenza, from Spanish flu at the end of World War One? They'd made it through the war. And my point was, OK, yes, these people are fictional, but that's what really happened. Imagine how unfair that felt to families, that your son has come home. They have survived all these countless horrors on the trenches in the trenches of World War One to come home and then die in their bed. It's just it's just unspeakably sad. Now obviously, sadly, one death from a virus is one death too many. 
And the thing is, it's nobody's fault. We, we can point our fingers at politicians and say, you should have done better, etc., etc. But no one politician, no one political party spread the virus, okay? Uh, as one person who was very, very ill from it said online, COVID-19 just wants to kill you. And that's the thing. It's a virus. It just wants to spread. It's nothing personal. It doesn't matter about your political beliefs, religious beliefs, sexual orientation, anything else. It just wants to grow inside you. And some people, that means death. And that is the horrible, impersonal thing about viruses. The fascinating thing about viruses is from a scientific point of view, they're on the very edges of what can be classified as life. Viruses don't move. Viruses cannot breed in and of themselves. A virus just sitting there in a Petri dish is completely inert and is really just a sack of chemicals. It doesn't really do anything. Stick it inside a host cell, though, and watch it breed, watch it grow, watch it move. But it needs something else for it to fully come to life. And that is about as horrible and as parasitic and as alien as I can think of, quite frankly. So that is Spanish flu. And that's where I want to put things into context for a moment, because I don't know exactly what the death rate's going to be from coronavirus around the world, COVID-19. But it's not going to get to 80 and 100 million. It just isn't. It's just not as lethal as that particular virus. OK, so maybe we should stop using that as a comparison. So then we come to the Black Death. And this is where I wanted to do an actual podcast just show, solely comparing Endgame to the Black Death. Because if you remember the rules in Endgame, when Thanos snapped his fingers, there we go, that's my snap, um, then he wanted 50% of the entire universe's population to be just destroyed annihilated to give the other 50% a chance to live and breed and thrive. It was a clever idea to make the the bad guy not completely insane, but there's a sort of warped logic to it all. Although, as the wise asses such as myself have pointed out, why didn't he just click 100% more resources into existence? Then you wouldn't need to kill anybody, would you? But that's a different point. But the, the thing is, you've got society coming to terms with half the people in the world randomly just disappearing. And uh, suddenly, do you go to ball games? Uh, you know, do you, you know, there's just a sort of a kind of a breakdown, a malaise. Do we really want to? There's a very powerful scene. Uh, it's actually done by one of the directors um, uh, where he's sitting there going, he was uh, having a date and the two of them just broke down and started crying. You know, there's the line uh, there with Captain America saying, you know, I managed to make it to dessert before I started crying. And, and that's the thing. There's just this sort of complete annihilation. Of, of society going on there. And that is what it was like during the Black Death. So again, we, we now know how it spread, basically. Uh, it's a bizarre start to the story, um, so bear with me on this. But uh, you have the Italian city-states of Venice and Genoa and Pisa, and they are basically massive trading networks. And Genoa had a trading network in modern-day Ukraine. It's a place called Kaffa, C-A-F-F-A, and it was a trading post that had been around for several generations. Uh, and basically it was trading with the locals for things like furs and timber and stuff like that, that they could get back into the West. And also uh, there might occasionally be spice routes getting all the way there too. 
However, in 1346, it was under attack by the Mongols. Although the Mongol Empire basically, the 1200s was when the Mongol Empire was at its peak, that does not mean they'd gone away in the 1300s. They were still rampaging around, still terrorising particularly places like Russia, for example. And we know that this chieftain of this uh, Mongol group called, uh, was called Janabeg. And Janabeg was trying to crack Kaffa trying to break in, trying to get all the good stuff, loot, pillage, etc. But unfortunately, his men, while they were conducting the siege, were getting sick, really sick. They suddenly were dying in their scores. And Janibeg realised that his men were being killed so quickly just by this illness that he was going to lose this siege. And in a fit of petulance, uh, of unspeakable horror, he loaded up these dead men into the catapults that had been previously firing stones into Kaffa, and they started firing the dead bodies. Imagine the sound of those bodies splattering against the walls and, and roofs of Kaffa. You know, the, their bodies rupturing in the streets, and of course spreading this contagion throughout Kaffa. And although Kaffa still existed, a lot of people just left at that point but they had inside them a ticking time bomb. That was 1346. And so by 1347, it was spreading throughout uh, southern Europe. And then by 1348, it had reached England. And so you can just see this sort of inexorable spread of this illness from an, uh, a known uh, central source. And this is when we get the term quarantine, because quaranta is the Italian for 40, and Venice had this specific island where people who had come from places where there'd been illnesses had to just stay there for 40 days to see if you showed any sign of illness. It was a very clever and effective way to stop the spread of disease, um, and it was sort of like regulated by law. That's where we get the term quarantine. But really, in 1348, the idea, well, the concept of microbiology and uh, the germ theory didn't really exist until the uh, late 1900s. And we can actually thank uh, largely America for developing it. Although some people said, yes, there was this Arab sort of mathematician and philosopher in the Middle Ages who came up with the concept of sickness being smaller than a grain of rice. Yeah, true, but nothing was done with that. The concept of um, antibacterials and, uh, you know, washing uh, uh, washing surgeons' equipment and things like that really didn't only didn't kick off until uh, the the late 1800s. And it was actually a Hungarian man who was sort of wanted to spread uh, spread perhaps completely the wrong term the idea of best practice. But up until then, you'd have doctors and surgeons who um, would literally walk around with sort of blood spattered aprons on to show that they were a pro that they'd been doing this for ages. Of course, now we know that was just sitting there festering, full of bacteria and illness that was highly likely to infect the next person you operated on. But people just didn't know. And back in 1346, people had no idea. There was the concept of bloodletting. So, of course, we now know that was just making people eat weaker. Fasting, again, making people weaker. And uh, people did. There's the famous masks, the sort of the... the animal-beaked masks um, uh, from, from Italy uh, that the plague was, sort of, doctors would wear. Uh, and uh, they sort of look very cool and they've been sort of used in multiple sort of video games and 
gothic imagery and stuff like that and what the, that sort of beak was filled with, with was basically potpourri or sort of sweet smelling herbs and spices it in no way protected you really from something like the bubonic plague so what it was was just basically a way to smell sweet and but what it might have done is given them a bit of distance because you couldn't get too close to somebody's face if you were wearing a mask with a great big beak on it that might have protected them and indeed right now we're aware of the idea of the mask. I'm going to put my neck out here and say COVID-19, the eternal imagery of COVID-19 will be one slightly mocking sign of our panic about the lack of toilet rolls out there. And the other one is the mask, that simple white face mask, which we all know now is not really protecting you, but it might stop you if you've got some kind of illness from spreading it with other people. And indeed, the origin of it in China in particular was the fact that it was trying to protect your face from pollution and not just viruses. Um, and so you'd see them quite dirty at times as well, because there is a lot of pollution in places like Beijing. So my point here is that the image of the mask from the Middle Ages is actually accurate, but didn't wasn't a sort of proper surgical mask as we would understand it today, because they just didn't know about germs. Um, you know, let's pray harder to God. They, people kind of worked out that maybe we should get rid of the rats. And there were outbreaks of plague regularly in Europe for more than 300 years after that. Now, it's quite famous that it's, it seems to be more of a coincidence more than anything else, quite why the Great Fire of London would end bubonic plague in Europe, because let's face it, that didn't burn out anything in Paris, did it? Uh, and Paris was a bigger city at the time. But it just, it just seems to have died out. And then interestingly, after that, as the plague died out, we then get for the next sort of 300 years, a new illness that is the, the blight of everyone, which is smallpox, which is a staggeringly lethal illness, which great news people, thanks to modern science, modern immunology, um, and the idea of, of creating these uh, sort of antivirals and antibacterials, we have been able to basically wipe out smallpox. Um, it now only exists in a couple of laboratories in the world. You can't catch smallpox anywhere on planet Earth unless you happen to be mishandling the last few vials of it. And that's a sign of amazing achievement of uh, of um of human scientists uh, fighting back against viruses and also one in the eye for anti-vaxxers out there as well vaccines work they just do okay however if only one person vaccinates and everybody else doesn't then yeah the virus is still going to be there the illness will still be around we all need to vaccinate so it's got nowhere to go to okay that's how vaccines work vaccines were actually invented by a british man uh jenner and uh today we can say he's incredibly um, in, uh, unethical and he was the person who came up with the uh, vaccine for smallpox smallpox is a horrific uh, illness uh, like ebola it's one of these ones where look if you want to see photos of people suffering from it you've got to have a strong stomach please do not do it after a meal it, it literally pockmarks these sort of you see people with like divots in their faces and things like that that's from uh, from smallpox um or one of the pox families and indeed the term a pox on your house uh, is obviously an insult and a great sort of like curse on you because it did kill thousands and basically what jenna worked out is that milkmaids didn't seem to catch smallpox and there is a much more mild version of the pox illness virus called cowpox so he postulated that if maybe if you catch cowpox you can't catch smallpox so what did he do he actually opened up 
um, so, so some of the uh, pustules, I know this is a bit disgusting, of cowpox and basically dug it into people to deliberately give them cowpox. And then he deliberately exposed them to smallpox. This is why it's so unethical. But it worked. Then another really unethical thing, he deliberately infected some children with, because how do you carry around a vaccine? It's impossible. Britain's growing an empire. So basically uh, infected some children, put them on ships, got them over to India and started spreading out in Asia and uh, a smallpox vaccination courtesy of these children. So yeah, all kinds of ethical errors there, but the science stood up. And to this day, this is why we're able to counter some of these illnesses. And what I find fascinating, and going back to uh, Hot Zone, the, the sort of that book which sort of introduced me to sort of like a modern day uh, virology, was it saying that it said in that book, and this came out in the 1990s, saying the biggest threat to humanity is not nuclear war, it's not terrorism, it's viruses, because there are viruses out there that could kill us, and we it will take us too too short a time to, or too long a time to counter it, which we're kind of seeing now. It's just we're lucky. I know that's a weird word to say, but we are lucky because this is actually an illness that isn't at the lethality levels of Ebola or something like that. And so uh, what the other point the book was saying is now more than Spanish flu, we are even more interconnected. And it is weird to think that somebody, um, basically illnesses which, which, are, which rip through a species quickly, like we're seeing now, have to have come through another species. It has to be lying dormant in something else. And we are aware that in Wuhan, we don't have patient zero. We don't know, do not know who actually contracted it, where it passed over from one animal species to humans. We don't know. Um, but this is where you get phrases like swine flu. So we know that it was this virus was living in pigs and then it transferred over to humans, probably either through butchery or farming. And then it started spreading in, in humans. So we know about swine flu. We know about bird flu. And, you know, there, there are these things that cross over species. And that's what's happened here. Although we don't know exactly when, where or who. OK, before people start saying, oh, it was the pangolins. People are saying that because it's a fairly good guess, but it's a guess. And that's the way it goes. OK, so what we are facing right now, people say it's unprecedented. And in a way it is. We've never had a more interconnected world, which makes it unprecedented. Certainly the last time we had an epidemic like this going around the world, turning into a pandemic of this kind of scale was about 100 years ago. So there's nobody really alive that really remembers Spanish flu. Um, but that was far more lethal than what we're facing now. And then Black Death, I didn't tell you, but let me put that into context. It killed between a third and half of all of Europe. So we are now at Thanos levels of mortality. And again, thankfully, that is not what COVID-19 is going to do in terms of lethality. And actually, that was so much death that the feudal system basically collapsed. All those peasants who are tied to their land, well, landlord doesn't know whether I'm alive or dead, and he's, he's horrible. But the guy down the road, he pays well. So why don't we all go down there? And so it led to sort of like a weirdly a few more freedoms, more flexibility, 
uh, in society. Uh, suddenly the workers were able to have, a, I'm not saying a huge amount of rights, we're still talking about the time when the king was the king, um, but uh, we get the term bastard feudalism. Now that's being used in the sense of like not something not quite proper, in the sense that pure feudalism was I'm a knight and I owe my loyalty to my baron because the king owns all the land and when the king says raise an army, the baron's going to need knights. So in other words, I get my land as payment to be uh, a knight in the in the baron's army that's ultimately in the king's army. So everything's paid in, in humans, really. Not in terms of slavery, but in terms of armies. Whereas what bastard feudalism means is that suddenly it's like, okay, fine, I don't need the men. Don't worry about the knights, per se, because most of them are dead through the bubonic plague. Uh, no, why don't you just give me the, enough money to hire knights and maybe I'll get them from centres of mercenary activity, such as modern-day Belgium. Weird to think that Belgium was a place that had loads of mercenaries, but that's a real fact. Okay. And then I want to talk about the single biggest killer of humans in all of history. And it's not something kind of darkly sexy like Ebola, and it's not going to be COVID-19. It's not war, it's not famine, it's not terrorism, it's not environmental change. It's malaria. It is estimated that if you add up all of the people who've ever died in whole of history, more people have died from malaria than any other single cause of death. To this day, it is estimated, in the modern world, for heaven's sakes, that about a million people a year die from malaria. This is why Bill Gates is pouring in billions in trying to find a solution to that, because that would be a game changer for us. And it is a reminder of how these very simple organisms are actually so adept at killing these allegedly complex things called human beings. So, that's all pretty sobering. I actually wanted to finish off with one last little plug. Because I've I've made this all rather real for you. Maybe, I hope, I've calmed you down a bit. I hope I haven't sort of whipped you into a bit of a fervor. But I'm going to do an, one last plug, because I want to take you away somewhere, okay? Let's get away from the viruses. Now, I mentioned Silent Crossroads earlier. I actually did a neon on my second, uh, second historical novel, again self-published, called Echoes, which is about Vietnam and today. And my third historical novel is just coming out, and it cannot be more different to what we're talking about now. Uh, it's set in the Middle Ages. It's set in the year 1291 in a Middle Eastern city called Acre, and it's the last crusader city in the Middle East. And who's the hero? Well, it's a woman called Maria, who's a Venetian. Do you remember I talked about the city-states trading? Yep, that's what she's doing. She's a trader. She's a woman in a man's world, and all she wants to do is trade, make money. And you only can make money if there's peace. So while all these men are sort of like clamoring for war, and like all my historical novels, the events are real. You know, you've got real leaders. You've got real cause and effect moments, okay? All the history there is true. But Maria is fictional. And she's just a different way of telling a story that I'm going to say you probably don't know much about. It's called And God Watched. Because what I find fascinating about that period of history is both the Muslims and the Christians were convinced that God was on their side. It just seems that he wasn't there at the convenient point sometimes for either party. So And God Watched by Jem Daduchu 
It's once again a self-published novel, so you can get it on Amazon. You can get it right now. If you want to be cast away to a sun-kissed medieval city surrounded by a sinister enemy with lots of intrigue, negotiation, barter, and uh, religious fervor, if that sounds like your cup of tea, then please help me out, because funnily enough, I'm sitting at home doing an, uh, doing an awful lot of twiddling of thumbs right now, so I could do with a few people buying a copy of the book. But I do genuinely think it's going to take your mind off things. It's going to cast your mind into a very different world. And if you like it, you could do one last favour for me, stick a review up for it, because that all helps. So that's me, Jem Daduchu, here on Neon, telling you, don't panic. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.